have a Bible, would you please turn with me to Mark chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, as always, feel free to use a blue pew Bible in front. Uh, Mark 4, you'll find on page 839. So I want to open by speaking about two men that you may or may not have ever heard of before this morning. First, a man named William Carey. And second, Adoniram Judson. William Carey was born in 1761 in England. He was raised to patch shoes at a cobbler's shop before he came to faith in Jesus Christ as a teenager and was gripped by a passion for sharing the gospel with those who had never heard it before. So on June 13, 1793, William Carey and his wife Dorothy, along with their four young children, sailed from England to India, equipped with the gospel and a love for the native people there. After seven years in India, Carey had still not seen a single convert. And over the course of his 40 years in the country, where he never went back to England again, his labor saw very limited immediate impact. Adoniram Judson was born in 1788 in Massachusetts, and he was the first foreign missionary to be sent out from the United States. And it happened in 1812 when he boarded a boat with his newlywed wife and headed to the country of Burma. Like Carrie, Judson labored in Burma for seven years without ever seeing a single convert. And he died in Burma after 38 years of ministry with, again, little fruit to show for his work there. Just a fledgling ministry that was left behind in a country that he has labored so hard for. Carrie and Judson. Two guys who committed themselves fully to kingdom-building work for four decades, and yet at the time of their deaths, they had little to show for it. Um, from those descriptions, you, you, you might be wondering, um, so why do we know their names? We'll come back to them. But it models and embodies the truth that the Christian life can be frustrating, Living for the Lord, doing the work of the Lord can be challenging. Growth that we experience both in our own lives and our own faith, uh, impact in the world around us can seem to go at a snail's pace. Um, years can pass, and while we might experience victory in many areas, there's often still areas that, if we're honest, we just still struggle with all these years later, like we always have. People we've been praying for for years have still not changed. Family and friends remain unmoved to the truth of the gospel. And then when you think about the church and, and our purpose in the world and our vision and our mission, how often can it just seem to be overtaken and outmatched by other beliefs, by other worldviews like secularism, relativism, pluralism, just to name a few. And so it's no wonder that in all these things, like how can doubt not creep in at some point? And questions start to emerge whether or not we'd ever admit it. Is, is this all worth it? Like, what are we actually accomplishing? Is any of this actually making a difference? 
if we were so bold, we might even whisper, if God is so big, and he is so powerful, and he is so in control, why does he seem to be losing at times? This morning, we receive a timely word from the Gospel of Mark as Jesus infuses courage into his hearers with three short parables. Uh, Parables, as we spoke about last Sunday, are deceptively simple stories. Deceptively simple stories that illustrate a truth about the kingdom of God. And and last week, we saw the first and longest parable in the Gospel of Mark, uh, the parable of the soils. And it outlined uh, various responses that people are going to have to hearing the Gospel. We learned that the message of parables is that the kingdom of God will emerge and it will go forth. And and, and the purpose of parables, why is he speaking in parables, is both to reveal truth and also harden those who hear. And so these next three parables that Mark's going to list just in a row, short parables, they're going to reinforce this message and they're going to thankfully provide some clarity to their purpose. And so before we get going into the passage, there's, there's one piece of the puzzle I want to fill in. If parables are meant to be a given insight into the kingdom of God, here's a question. What's the kingdom of God? If, if you're around church often, it's a word and a phrase you might hear. You, if you read the Gospels, you see it really kind of all over the place. What, what is the kingdom of God? What's it look like? In its simplest form. The kingdom of God is wherever the king is. And the best way to get a visual of the kingdom of God is the first two chapters and the last two chapters of the Bible. Genesis 1 and 2, Revelation 20 and 21, the the bookends of the Bible that provide a visual of this place of perfection, of of security, of, of perfect safety, where there is no suffering. It's only in four chapters of your Bible. There's perfect worship of a king. There's there's perfect relationships with God and with one another. There's fruitfulness and there's obedience and there's compassion. These are all pictures of the kingdom. And it's there at the beginning. And it's there at the end. And so the storyline of the Bible is how do we get back to this paradise that was once lost through sin? The Bible, it's not this collection of random stories that were assembled way after the fact. The Bible is one story, and it's a story about restoring the kingdom of God. If anyone ever asks you, hey, what's the Bible about? It's about God, and it's about how he's restoring his kingdom, beginning to end. And the secret of the kingdom of God was revealed last week when Jesus told us that we receive entry into the kingdom through repentance of sin and faith in Jesus Christ. It's not something we build. It's not something we achieve. It's not something that we earn or figure out. It's something that we merely receive by faith. And it's an open secret. The open secret of the Bible is that it's all about Jesus. So, that's the kingdom of God. And here's three short parables that are going to support this. So, follow along with me as we read the first one. Matthew chapter 4. Starting in verse 21, we'll read to verse 25. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? 
For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Three parables. Here's the first one. Kingdom illumination. Kingdom illumination. Jesus, again, is now back speaking to the crowds. He's not just explaining to his disciples any longer. He's, he's back before the crowds, and he's, he's speaking in parables again. He's speaking in these deceptively simple stories that are utilizing everyday objects and these kind of word pictures for those that are listening. And in the first parable, he starts with a question. Hey, is a lamp meant to be hidden or to be shown? Does a lamp illuminate or does it conceal? So as you know, Jesus asks some pretty tough questions in the Gospels, right? Not one of them, all right? Not a trick question, okay? To hide a lamp would be ridiculous. It'd be to misuse it. It would be wasting its light. Rather, a lamp is only brought in, light is only brought in where it's supposed to expose that which was hidden. You know, we kind of get a feel for this almost every week. You know what's one of the best aspects of technology that I've found that I've already taken for granted? Is that in any moment, I got a flashlight on my phone. Maybe you were a guy that carried a flashlight in your belt at all times. That wasn't me. Wasn't my, wasn't my thing. But now, I find myself um, really daily, but definitely weekly, multiple times needing to use that. Right? I mean, probably the most often is Caden uh, comes into the room, and of course there's a missing train, and that's like chaos in our house. Like there's a train missing, all right? And so he goes, Dad, get your flashlight. We're going under the couch, right? And, and what's the point of bringing a light to under a couch? Because it exposes that which was hidden. It brings dark spaces to light, and now nothing is kept secret under that couch anymore. And with that simple parable that a light is brought in to reveal and to expose, Jesus just stops and says again, hey, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Some variation of that phrase is said five times in chapter four alone. Jesus constantly coming back to it, and, and we just need to take note that what he's telling us in this chapter is important. He says, guys, are you listening are you really hearing this? The significance of the lamp in this parable could be any number of things. It could be Jesus himself. For we read throughout scripture, particularly in the gospel of John, that Jesus is the true light of the world. And this light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Uh, the lamp could be the word of God, the scriptures themselves, which um, the scriptures as described in Psalm 119, it says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It could be both. Surely uh, Jesus as the word and the word of God are intimately connected. But in the context of this being a parable and what parables are meant to shed light upon being the kingdom of God, I think Jesus is saying, here's a lamp in the inbreaking into a dark world, the inbreaking of the kingdom into this world. The kingdom that has been sowed into the, into the world by the person and work of Jesus Christ, and this lamp will expose, and it will illuminate, and it will unveil all the secrets 
And this lamp might seem dim at first. I mean, Jesus was born in a manger, right? Total obscurity. No big light show. He lived for 30 years in the same town. He was a carpenter. He was recognized by no one when he initially came onto the scene. This lamp was just, was just a flicker. As if you took a candle and you went in the middle of a large field in the middle of the night. The darkness seemed to overcome it, but it was there, and it was just a flicker, but it will manifest. And it will reveal the secret of the kingdom of God in due time. And at the end of this parable, Jesus says something a little strange, all right? Verse 24, if you heard it, right? Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added to you. For the one who has, more will be given. And for the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Ironically, that actually brings some clarity to parables when you work into it. Remember last week, we saw the purpose of parables. Jesus said in verses 10 through 12, he said, you want to know why I'm speaking in parables? You want to know why I do it so much? He said, so those who can hear will understand. But those who don't hear, they'll be hardened. Parables, to reveal and to harden. That was a pretty tough thing to read last last week, wasn't it? I received a very good amount of questions from people after that sermon along the lines of, okay, why would Jesus want to harden? That doesn't sound like God. That doesn't seem to line up. Like, there was just honest confusion that those verses were in there. Like, like Jesus actually said that. So, just a side note, um, and I've said this before, but I like preaching through books of the Bible because it keeps us from avoiding hard verses. I doubt those verses were ever preached in a topical sermon or were involved in a sermon series because what series does that feat fit neatly into? None. Unless your sermon series is Mark. <laughs> then you can't avoid it. And so we're going verse by verse through Mark. And that's what the Bible says. So we have to work it to understand. And, and this is why they say, if you want to know about the Bible, the Bible will teach you about the Bible. And you keep coming along to these verses 24 and 25, and they provide some welcomed clarity to the purpose of parables. Listen, Jesus is saying, if your hearing is good, you will receive this news of the kingdom with joy. You will seek to know it more. Jeff, I heard him pray about it. If you seek him with all your heart and all your mind, you will find him. You will press deeper into this truth. And then even more will be added to you. But if you reject this message, if you resist the welcomed news of the inbreaking of the kingdom of God, even what little you had will be stripped from you. The response to the message It's either receiving with joy or it's rejecting it with a hardened heart. Jesus is not speaking this hoping that they don't believe. He's not hoping to hide it so that they'll never find it. He's simply saying the message of parables will expose the condition of your hearts. A heart that loves Jesus will love him even more after hearing the parables. And listen, a heart that rejects Jesus will reject him even more after hearing the parables. They reveal and they harden. There is no such thing as a lukewarm response to the gospel. Somehow in America there is, but there shouldn't be. 
rightly understood, Jesus is either your everything or he's your nothing. He either stirs you up for himself or he angers and offends you. His message is an offensive message if you're not looking for a savior. And it will harden even more and it will make you even angrier. And so parables, this is the, they'll expose it. They'll either stir your heart more for him or they'll offend you even more. And to those who hear, this message is one of kingdom illumination, like a lamp that exposes the darkness. It's parable number one. Let's keep going. Read verses 26 through 29. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts it in the sickle, because the harvest has come. Second parable this morning, kingdom power. Kingdom power. So there are eight parables in the Gospel of Mark. This is the only one that is found exclusively in Mark and nowhere else. The only unique parable to the book of Mark. And again last week, it's a parable about a seed. But in this one, the emphasis is not on the response of sowing seed, but rather on the seed itself. Last week, Jesus said the seed is the word. It, it, it's, it's the primary message. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ that, that the Messiah is God himself. And he has come into the world to die for the people he's come to save. And the point of this parable is that the growth of the seed is not dependent on the sower. Did you see that? The man in this parable just scatters the seed and then his job is done. And day after day, the seed is scattered, the seed does the work, it has the power to sprout out of the ground, little at a time, until it turns into full ears of grain, and then the man just observes, and he just observes, and he wakes up day after day, and he goes back, and it's there a little bit more, and he goes back to sleep, and he wakes up, and he just watches it again, and he goes back to sleep, and it's it's a mystery to him that this seed is just growing on its own. Jesus says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. The word is let loose, and we watch it work. The word is scattered. It takes root. It grows, and it gets harvested all by the power and sovereignty of God. And once this process begins, it's going to finish. Once the seed sprouts, we know in due time that it will produce a mighty harvest. This ought to be an unbelievable encouragement to the church. Sow the seed. Spread the gospel truth and trust that God will make it grow. And we won't always know how. But we can take courage in the fact that his word will not return void. So this little parable, only found in Mark, is of immense encouragement I think it's also a warning. I think it's a warning. The farmer was not called to mess with the seed once it was planted. And likewise, I think it's a warning to the church. Don't mess with the word. Don't get in the way of its work. Don't try and help it by changing it to accommodate your culture. 
Don't try and tweak it. Don't hide it. Don't apologize for it. Don't try and make it more reasonable. Sow the word. Sow the truth of the gospel in this world and watch it work. It reminds me of a famous quote. I've shared this before, but I think it's been a year, so I'm going to share it again. Uh, From the preacher Charles Spurgeon. One of my favorite guys to read about. He served as a pastor in England during the 19th century. And it was, it was a time in England of intense questioning of the power of the Bible. The, the power of the word. And there was, there was growing angst amongst pastors and, and ministry leaders of how are we going to defend this Bible in these modern times? There are some hard things in there. How are we going to answer for it? How can we protect it? it? It was a time not totally unlike today where biblical truths and stances on various issues, they stood in stark contrast to the culture to the point where people honestly start to wonder, how can we hold on to this? How can we defend this and still be relevant? How can we align it with some of the things that culture is saying? And and Spurgeon was asked by a group of pastors how they might be able to do this. And his reply still gives me goosebumps every time I read it. He says, quote, many suggestions are made and much advice is offered. Pardon me if I offer a quiet suggestion. Open the door and let the lion out. He'll take care of himself. Church, when we're in a world where the attacks against things of faith are strong, where the temptations of our own flesh are powerful in our lives and the lives of others, when we feel like we are sinking, let the lion out, and he'll take care of himself. Just open the door. Scatter the seed and get out of the way. The word will go out, and it will take care of itself. The parable, this only parable that is found only in Mark, immense encouragement to us all. Let's go third parable, verses 30 through 34. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Third parable, kingdom expansion kingdom expansion. Um, Here we see the most explicit visual of how this will all end. The kingdom of God will expand, and there's no stopping it. We've seen allusions to this truth in all of the parables so far. Last week, the the seed on good soil, it it bears fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. This morning, a, a lamp illuminates a room. The seed sprouts into a harvest, but with this, it is a clear, explicit promise that the kingdom of God will emerge, and it will go forth for all to see. Of the seeds planted at the time in ancient Palestine and the Middle East, the the mustard seed was known to be the smallest. 
If you've ever seen a picture of one online, you can barely even notice it when you hold it in the palm of your hand. And you might be tempted to think, like, man, what could come from this? What, what, What could this actually do? But you plant that thing, and in due time, it grows, and it grows, and it expands, and it multiplies, and it emerges to be the largest of any of the plants in the garden. And this meaning finds its fulfillment in the kingdom of God brought on in Jesus Christ, who who in his first coming, he came in a manger. He he was but a small seed in a vast world, barely noticeable in the context of all the empires and powers and, 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 and evil that was in the world. You could barely see it, but it was there. And in his death and resurrection and in his equipping of these men and women who had followed him, the kingdom will expand and it will grow and it will grow and it will multiply up until his second coming. And this time it's not going to be a baby in a manger. This time it will be known by all as he emerges on the eastern sky when all will see and all will know for sure, regardless of what you believe, Jesus is king. For those with ears to hear, let him hear. The faith of those who put their faith in him will see a similar track where, where upon receiving Christ as Savior and Lord, a, a, a person begins with a childlike faith. It might be the faith of a mustard seed, you could even say. But faith, true faith, nonetheless. And over time, faith begins to mature and it begins to grow and it begins to just lay claim over everything in their lives It's a faith that starts with a profession of believing in Jesus Christ as Savior and is a faith that will not be perfected until that day of Christ's return. And the evidence of that is the very men and women who are listening to him at this point. The the apostles and the disciples who are following him because they don't totally get it. They have just a childlike faith. It's just a a faith of a mustard seed, but, but they're dialed in and they're hearing him. And after his death on the cross and his victory over the grave, they will receive the Holy Spirit and they will be the means of his kingdom expansion by the power of the Spirit. Like, how unbelievable is it? Regardless if you think this is all crazy talk or if you think this is true, we all have to confess it is wild that this kingdom, which looked like it was over before it began when Jesus died, naked and alone on the cross, where it was left to 12 fearful apostles and a group of maybe 120 men and women of disciples in this vast world. And yet, this small church would sow the seed. And they would sow, and they would sow, and they would scatter. And it didn't take long for the world to turn upside down. This is the final parable of chapter 4. And then Mark sums it up with this, with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. It ends as it began, with a summons to hear. Are you listening to this? This is important. It's like when a teacher is doing a review for a test, and, and, and halfway through the review, they say, now listen. Listen to this section here. 
This is important if you want to succeed, right? The whole review is needed, but this section especially, hear this. This is what our master teacher is saying in Mark chapter 4 with these parables. It's an open invite to all who have ears to hear. He's not purposely hiding truth so that people don't believe. The secret of the kingdom of God is an open secret. Like the eggs at an Easter egg hunt, it's hidden in order to be found for those who look for it. For those who look, they will find that Jesus is the Messiah. That faith alone in him is what will deliver us from death to life. The, the kingdom is illuminated by his presence. The kingdom is empowered by his death and resurrection. And the kingdom will expand through the church in the ages to come. And for those able to hear, they will hear that Jesus has come to seek and save the lost. And some people are going to understand. And some people won't. And that's to be expected. But church, take courage this morning. Are you feeling worn out in the faith? Do you feel like you're barely hanging on to the faith of just a mustard seed as you navigate trials and, and just you see evil in the world day after day, week after week, and, and you walk in here and you're like, this is great, but it seems a little irrelevant compared to everything out there. Take courage. The sovereign Lord is on the throne, and the kingdom is expanding. Every time someone comes to Christ, the kingdom is expanding. Every time we stare down a temptation and choose to walk in the spirit over the flesh, the kingdom is expanding. And every time we sow the word, the kingdom is expanding, even if we can't see it. When this thing ends, those in Christ will be in the realm of God's perfect kingdom and we will all be able to say, along with the Apostle Paul, that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. Believe in Christ. Sow the seed and pray for fruit. William Carey and Adoniram Judson committed their lives to this kingdom expansion and they persevered through seemingly fruitless ministry for the sake of the gospel and their love for the lost. Upon their deaths, many, if not most, would look at their life's work and go, that was a waste of time. Nothing to see here. But the seeds that were sown proved to be the very means God used to reach some of the most unreached parts of the world in that time. I can't go through all the seeds they planted in 40 years, but let me just share one. Kerry laid the foundation for the study of modern Bengali, which at the time was classified as an unsettled dialect. It wasn't even a known language, and today it's the fifth most spoken language in the world. He then translated the New Testament in Bengali as well up to 210 other languages and dialects in India alone. Similarly, Judson translated the Bible into Burmese, in and out of prison, uh, putting put in prison by the Burmese authorities, and his translation today is still the most used in the country of Burma. And he also, before his death, completed the first English Burmese dictionary, sowing the seed 
carving out the path for others to come after them. Today, William Carey is still known as the father of the modern missions movement, of of countries raising up and identifying men and women to be trained and sent to the nations, including unreached people groups to love and serve and sow the seeds of the gospel in ways that transform cultures. This is why we know their names. And the perseverance of the faith, even while seeing little fruit for 40 years and dying, is what God used to bring about complete transformation. The kingdom of God is going forth. And we have a role to play, not just to the nations, but also in our own neighborhoods, our own communities. And let us, who have the ears to hear, let us hear and let us join the multitudes of faithful men and women who are committing to letting the lion out. Let's pray. Father, I I pray for us all after confronting your word. Just a, a small set of verses, Lord, that are easily scanned over, but when when read and when heard and when understood can inspire. We thank you for the men and women it has inspired over the last 2,000 years. And I pray for us all, Lord, that we would see our part to play and that we would play it well. And I pray for anybody in here who has not yet professed their faith in Jesus Christ that your spirit would just do work today, that you would reveal, that you would soften, that you would bring joy set before them, faith in your Son. We thank you for making a way when there was no way. And we thank you for your word, which tells us all about it. And it's in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, we pray.